Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high-profile and under-the-radar cases from across the country every week. We are recording this podcast on August 19th, 2020. I'm Anna Garcia, and our guest this week is Dr. Judy Ho, a forensic psychologist, always working incredible cases, and if you follow her on social media, she dances on Instagram. (laughs) Hi, Anna. It's always so good to see you. Thanks for having me back. Oh, we're so happy to have you, Dr. Judy. You always have such great insight. And this week, we have two cases out of Florida, but they involve um, a level of violence, torture, and exposure to these things that we would love to hear your insight into. So these are the two cases we're looking at. You know, I'm calling this a school shooting, and we will explain why. A school shooting in Florida that happened while the children were in a Zoom class, and it happened at the home of one of the children. The mother was fatally shot by an ex-boyfriend in front of children who were in the home. And then, of course, don't forget that this was all happening during class, and the teacher acted so quickly in the middle of this chaos. So that's a very important case. But first, this one is very bizarre. A self professed witch, has been charged with kidnapping a toddler and the baby's mother is missing. 21-year-old Leela Cavett was last seen on July 25th in Hollywood, Florida, and that's about 700 miles away from her home in Georgia. Um, This case is very strange, Judy, because while she was last seen on July 25th, her two-year-old son on the following day, so on July 26th, was seen walking around in a parking lot near an apartment building with just a T-shirt and diapers on. Mm. And so, Judy, you can imagine a two-year-old is not that verbal to be able to explain, this is my name, this is my mommy's name. So for a few days, they had no idea who this child was or who he belonged to. Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, thank goodness the child seems okay, 
at least physically, but I don't even know what this child has been through. Like you said, a two-year-old very much light on the verbal talk. I mean, some two-year-olds are very precocious and can speak more, but really at two years old, you can maybe only string together two to three word sentences. And so how is he going to be able to convey what he saw? And I'm sure he saw some really horrific things. Exactly. It is very possible that this little boy is a witness and has information and he's currently in protective custody because, mm-hmm. you know, his mother is still missing. And even though he has a grandfather and aunties, as far as we know, based on um, members of the family who have come forward, mm-hmm. this, the state is being, you know, quite cautious here on what to do with the child and who ultimately the child will go to while they're still trying to figure out, like, where where the mother is. Now, investigators say that they are gravely concerned for the mother's safety and well-being. They believe that something terrible has happened to her. So from their perspective, I think it's beyond a missing persons case as far as the FBI is concerned because they're involved and also as far as uh, the local authorities. So um, what we're trying to figure out is, like, what was going on? Why was Leela so far from home? Because her family says, well, this doesn't make any sense at all. Why would she be in South Florida? Her family lives in Alabama. She lives in Georgia. And, um, again, we don't know what is going on. Now, when the toddler was found in the parking lot, uh, a woman who found him gave him some water to drink, called 911, and... Again, they were finally able a few days later to figure out who th- who the boy was. Now the question is, where is the mother? So according to the FBI, Leela and her son drove from Georgia to South Florida on either July 24th or 25th. They're being a little fuzzy on those two dates. The family says they don't know of any ties. The last time they spoke to her was about two weeks before she disappeared. Mm. So sometimes things like surveillance videos are very helpful in piecing who's where at what time. So here's what we have so far. Surveillance video shows her in Vero Beach on July 25th and then in Hollywood, Florida on the 26th. The 26th also shows the mother getting into a Lexus. This is like um, it was at a gas station. And this is going to be very interesting because that very same car that was seen in the surveillance video was parked near that apartment building near where the toddler was found. So we have her truck still parked in that gas station where everyone was. And, you know, the sisters drove down to Florida and they held like, you know, uh, an availability for news media to try and see if they could get somebody's memory jogged about, did you see my sister? She was here on this day. She was here on that day. And the family says, this is really out of character. But, I, you know, and, and it does get weird. Well, I know we're going to get to the whole, like, witch thing here, which is, the, like, it's all very bizarre. Oh. Okay. So the father, her father says that she went to Florida to meet a man that she had met on a, a dating website. Okay, because he says it's on her Facebook. That's what the dad is saying. Well, authorities are not so sure 
because recently, on August 15th, they arrested 38-year-old Shannon Ryan. He's a resident of Alabama. Mm -hmm. Remember, the family's from Alabama. She lives in Georgia. Okay, this is the man who says that he's a witch. He describes himself as a witch and a master of the occult arts. He has been charged with kidnapping and attempt to collect ransom. So the question is, did he kidnap the toddler to get ransom? And who was he going to get the money from? The mother? What happened to the mother? Right. I mean, if that is the crime that is at stake here, then maybe we have a better chance that the mother is still alive. But like you said, it kind of doesn't make sense because who would they get the ransom from? There has been no ransom demands to anybody who is associated with her, like her family or close friends or anything like that. And it just doesn't really add up because if you're kidnapping someone for ransom, everybody knows that you're supposed to kind of keep the person intact if you ever want to have your money or whatever it is that you're demanding. Yet this person was found on his iPhone to be Googling things like, does bleach and alcohol make chloroform? And what day does commercial garbage pick up from Hollywood, Florida? It more sounds like he had malicious intent to take the life of certain individuals. Exactly. Because when they arrested him, they um, served a search warrant and they got permission to search his iPhone. And he claims, this is Shannon Ryan, the man who's been arrested here with kidnapping the toddler, he claims that he has known Leela since January of 2019 and that the reason she was in South Florida was to sell her pickup truck for $3,000. Okay. And then he said, so he just met her and, and the son at the gas station and he was going to go help her do this. But what's really weird is that according to surveillance cameras and according um, to court documents, this Shannon Ryan, the witch occult specialist, says that, uh, well, no, he doesn't say this. The court records say that he was trying to sell Leela's truck for $1,000 to another guy. Well, first of all, he doesn't own the thing. And where is she? So he tells authorities, oh, she got into a car with a bunch of other guys. Right. Well, the surveillance video does not show that. <laughs> yeah. So we believe that he is lying. Um, so he posted all these videos that's um, where he's kind of answering to these charges, if you will. It's very, very bizarre. So in one of these videos that he posted, he says, if you think I'm guilty, come get me. Know what energy you are playing with. This is obviously a reference to his special gifts. I know that they're trying to make a connection of me to her. You're going to find that you wasted your mother effing time when you could have been looking for her. You know, and that's when, again, in the video, he starts explaining, well, I met her a year ago. Um, you know, and he's coming up with all these crazy stories. Well, you know, the cops are just not buying it. Remember how I said to you, he said that she got into a car with these men and the, and the surveillance video does not support that. But what the surveillance video does show is that Shannon Ryan's car was seen leaving that gas station at 8.15 in the morning and then coming back at 8.38 a.m. Consistent with the time frame that the toddler was abandoned and remember, his car is connected to where that happened. So the question here is, 
what the heck is going on? You have a mother who is missing. You have a man who is sitting in jail right now charged with kidnapping the toddler. Presumably, he knows a lot more than he's saying, and no one has heard from the mother. I don't understand why Shannon thinks that it's a good idea to proclaim his innocence on social media when he knows that he's a suspect not only for kidnapping but possibly for murder. It seems like a really ridiculous thing, especially as the story's not adding up, for him to go on Facebook and then proclaim his innocence. Doesn't he know that all of this can be used against him in the court of law and Maybe he needs to speak to a lawyer because I think Doth protests too much. Like this person is making too much of a stink about how innocent he is. And then also the vague threats, Anna. I mean, the idea that, again, we talked about this idea that he's a witch. He thinks that he's a master of the occult arts. And he's saying, you're basically screwing with the wrong person and you don't know what you're doing as if he's basically going to put a curse on these people or maybe kill other people. I mean, how does that make you feel good about this person that perhaps he's actually innocent of all of these charges? Well, it just, it almost adds like a circus environment to this entire thing. It's yeah. very serious. You have a toddler who was found abandoned and we don't know what he's been through. We have a mother who is missing and no one knows what happened to her. And then we have this guy who's spouting off about having these special powers who is sitting in a jail right now it, it 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 does have a circus feel to it, but sadly, it is very, very tragic, the events that have taken place so far. So, I, I mean, the fact that the FBI is involved and they're very concerned that something seriously horrible has happened to the mother, I have to admit, I mm -hmm. kind of suspect that. My feeling is if she were able to get out or away, she mm -hmm. would be out by now. However, Maybe the kidnapping, I know he's charged with kidnapping the toddler, but if he did something to her, let's just say he tied her up, and, and this is just speculation, that he put her somewhere. Mm -hmm. My guess is something had to have happened to her, because why else would he have taken the toddler? I know everyone's saying for ransom, but come on. Right. I mean, there are much easier ways to get money than to do that. It really doesn't add up, Anna. And I know that you know this from experience from all of your years as an investigative reporter that the longer somebody goes missing, the lesser the chance that you're going to discover them alive. Um, and the, the time is really ticking here. And it doesn't make sense that the toddler was just wandering around by himself. And I think when I think about Shannon and his possible psychological profile, the fact that he's leaning so hard into this witch and occult arts and how he's a master at all of it. It's almost like a type of narcissism. He wants to feel special. He wants to feel powerful. And I think that that's the case that he's making, that I'm a powerful person. Don't mess with me. I'm above and beyond all of this. And maybe in his brain, he really thinks if he did do something that he's going to get away with it. And that's what we see happen with some criminals, that basically they kind of think that they're a bit smarter than they really are, and they're not really covering their tracks the way they think they are. And this is another example where surveillance videos, Facebook and viral justice, like all of this is going to play a role in terms of how this investigation goes. And additionally, because some things were found in his possession, besides the Google searches for like, you know, uh, the, the, the reason he was searching for what time does the commercial garbage truck come around is because 
folks working there at that gas station say that they saw him put some stuff in the dumpster there, and it included things like kids' toys. Okay, well, that maybe belongs to the toddler. So, you know, look, Google searches are not a crime, but they do help put a piece of a puzzle together. Additionally, he uh, was found using someone else's credit card that did not belong to him. So he was paying for everything with somebody else's card. All right. So that's a potential other crime there. And additionally would have been the items in his possession. So a carpet deodorizer, duct tape. Mm. I got to tell you, you know, anytime you go to buy duct tape, you have to really think about, you know, what are the uses for this? Most of us just innocently buy it for, for things. But when, when someone is missing and there is a recent purchase of a duct tape and then there there were um, the deodorizer, some trash bags, and then a shovel that had some kind of, the police are not saying that it was blood, but they said that they were red stains. Oh, so what God. the heck was going on? I know. You know what? It's such a good point. I mean, like you said, most of us when we're buying duct tape. The other items that are associated with that purchase are very innocent. But when you buy duct tape and there's other things like chokeholds, uh, you know, shovels, anything that seems more suspicious. And I know that Shannon tried to cover his tracks by using somebody else's card to purchase this. But then again, you know, you're never really anonymous anymore. And as you're putting everything together, it just wouldn't make sense that you would buy duct tape and a shovel together. Now the shovel has red particles on it. And when that forensic analysis comes back, I definitely would not be surprised that it's blood because it really doesn't make sense that it would be some kind of paint that he had lying around his place. Exactly. uh, Two local newspapers in Florida are reporting that um, Shannon is claiming that he's being singled out for all of this because he has a past criminal history. I could think of a lot of reasons to be singled out. That could be one of them, but that doesn't seem like the strongest one in this case. He says, you know what, as a teenager, I sold drugs, and he was convicted in 2012 of a burglary in in Alabama. Okay, all of that may be fine. I, I think the biggest question, of course, remains what has happened to this mom. The FBI uh, is reminding everyone that they are still looking for her. We have some photos for you, but if you're listening, the FBI says that Leela Cabot is approximately 5'4". She weighs about 120 pounds, and she had her son's name tattooed on the inside of her arm. So that would that would say Camden, which is with a K, K-A-M-D-Y-N. And then on her inner wrist of the opposite arm, she has um, a little uh, Jesus fish tattoo. Mm-hmm. So if you spot a woman with those markings, police think that will help identify her. And again, her baby boy is in custody right now, protective custody. The poor child. And, you know, I think people sometimes think, okay, he's a two-year-old. Hopefully he won't remember any of it. But actually, little, little toddlers do remember when traumatic things happen. And I just hope that the boy is going to be okay in the long run. If he did see some very horrific things, he'll likely start showing some signs of trauma at some point, like regressing in his behaviors, maybe losing some of his language, you know, losing some toilet training if he has been toilet trained. And so I just hope that they're keeping a very close watch on this little boy and how he's doing and if needed to direct him to a professional for some help. 
Our second case, we are staying in Florida as well, and I'm calling this a school shooting on Zoom. This is just very weird. It seems as if school shootings were really on pause because schools have been closed because of COVID-19. Sadly, this shooting happened while there was a class in session on Zoom. It happened at one of the child's homes, and... You know, the teacher and the children could hear what was going on and and started reacting to what was going on. And then ultimately, the, the teacher was very, very smart. She knew something was going down, so she muted uh, that child's oh. camera or computer, if you will. And, and it made it possible for the rest of the children not to be further traumatized by what was going on. It's just unbelievable. So let's let's get into the facts here. So the mother of one of the children, she was killed by her ex-boyfriend. This happened at 8 o'clock in the morning. School had just started. This was on August 11th. 32-year-old Maribel Morales was killed by 27-year-old Donald Williams, according to investigators. The Martin County Sheriff's Office says that there were six children in the home when this happened, ranging in ages from 10 to 17 Four of the children belonged to Maribel. The other two were cousins who lived across the street and had come over to to the home. And remember, it was the youngest, the 10-year-old, who was in class, in session, in front of her computer when this happened on Zoom. Can you believe this? No. I mean, like you said, one interesting, weird silver lining of the pandemic is that because there hasn't been physical school, we haven't heard about school shootings. But this is kind of a weird Zoom version of that. And I'm so glad that the teacher was able to protect the rest of the classroom. But what about these six children who were in the home? And it sounds like they've all witnessed some part of this murder. And luckily, none of them were harmed. But I can't imagine just hanging out in the home doing your daily activities and all of a sudden something so horrible like this happening inside your own home. I, I don't know how the children recover from, from this. And the 10-year-old who is sitting at her computer, according to the family, she's a special needs child. She has Down syndrome. So imagine this little girl sitting at her computer, happy to be back at school, classes in session, um, and, and all this happens. This is what the teacher told investigators. She said, I heard some commotion, and I could hear that there was some arguing or a confrontation. So she said, so I clicked the girl's microphone onto mute. That's where everything was happening. And then, so she said, thank God the children did not hear the gunshots. They may have heard some of the arguing, but they didn't hear the gunshots. And that the teacher could tell something horrible was happening because then she saw the little girl put her hands over her ears and kind of scrunch her head down and her body down as the shots were being fired. And then as a result of the shooting, something hit her computer, the little girl's computer, and her signal went dead. So that was the last that the teacher knew of what was going on and the last that the kids also in that class. So can you imagine this level of violence? No, and I 
can imagine what the teacher was trying to do to calm the rest of the children. Hey, don't worry. I'm sure they're fine. I mean, what, what do you say? Cause you don't know. And you have no idea. And, and when the computer shuts off like that, I mean, that's just, I mean, in, in this case, of course, the worst has happened. But when you see something like that, of course, your mind goes to the catastrophe. That's something horrible must be happening. And then, you know, to be very clear about this, this 10-year-old girl, her mother has just been shot and ultimately killed. <sighs> so hopefully she did not witness it because she was participating in class but nonetheless it happened right there in her own home where she always i'm sure believes is the safest place to be investigators say that there was some kind of an argument mm -hmm. and that they say that donald williams went into the house early that morning and he confronted maribel about a video something was bothering him about a video mm -hmm. and that the the investigators say that when he showed her the video, she started to smile at him, and that's when he lost it. He became enraged, and he shot her. So he takes off. This is what's so bizarre. This is the, this is the rest of the story. He takes off, but he doesn't have a car. So he gets on a public bus, and then he says to the bus driver, can you take me to Stewart, Florida? Okay, so Stewart, Florida is a whole other town. This is not that kind of a bus. Mm -hmm. bus driver okay so we have a teacher who's very you know reactive and smart now comes the bus driver another woman she gets off the bus she calls 911 and says something very strange is going on here mm -hmm. turns out that the sheriff's department SWAT team is doing a training drill nearby so when 911 when the dispatcher Call, makes a call saying something's going on on a bus. We got a problem here. A uh, bus driver's calling for help. The SWAT team arrives at the bus, okay, like because they were so close. They take Donald Williams into custody. They claim that he had a stolen gun on him. We still don't know whether that was the gun uh, that he allegedly used to shoot Maribel. Um, but the authorities say that Williams immediately confessed to the shooting. We'll see whether, you know, that's going to be admissible or not. He is expected to be charged with first-degree murder, armed robbery, and armed home invasion. A little background on Maribel and Donald. They broke up about a year ago, and he was recently released from jail. He had been doing time for an incident involving domestic violence where she was the victim. Mm -mm. It's like a recipe for disaster. That's right. Because what we know about domestic violence is that it's an escalation. You know, usually you don't hear that there's never been that history with a couple and all of a sudden somebody gets shot, right? It's, there was a history. There's clearly a history of aggression in this relationship by Donald to Maribel. So, unfortunately, people sometimes feel like, okay, when I finally escape my abuser, perhaps I can be safe. But it is scary. You kind of almost have to always be a bit more on high alert, especially if they do know where you live. And I don't know if it's typical for him to just come into the house. I don't know what kind of relationship they had right before this, if they've argued back and forth, or if he sort of disappeared for a little bit and all of a sudden appeared... But I, it's so hard to imagine that Maribel would 
have knowingly let him into the house if she thought that she could be a danger or her kids could be a danger. I think that she must have trusted him to some level, even if he was angry, to say, okay, well, let's talk about it. What's wrong, right? I mean, it almost sounds like it's possible that Maribel was just trying to figure out what was the big problem. But the mistake, of course, was letting him into the house and possibly being a little bit too trusting if that's what happened. And we don't know whether she let him into the house, whether one of the kids let him into the house, whether the door was unlocked. Remember, four of her children were there. They had two cousins from across the street. Class is starting in the morning, eight o'clock. You know, the other, probably the older kids are just having their breakfast if they're even up. There's a lot going on at eight o'clock in the morning with that many kids in a house. So that's a possibility. We do not know the details of it, but the four children, Maribel's four children, they too have now been placed in protective custody. So we have all these children now in Florida in protective custody because of these two cases that we've just outlined. It's it's like an epidemic of crime and violence. And I feel like people are frustrated. I know that that's a common sentiment nowadays. Lots of people are saying how frustrated they are. We know that domestic violence rates, at least the reported rates, are higher now. Um, now that we're several months into the pandemic. And I, it's very hard because I know this is early for us to know if Donald really planned this, going there thinking, I'm going to kill her, or if maybe he just thought, I'm going to threaten her. I mean, it's, it's hard to know. It's interesting that he immediately confessed the crime. That makes me think perhaps there was a little bit of a impulsiveness to what he did. And he obviously didn't have a plan when he got on the bus and said, hey, take me to store. So something about this feels slightly unplanned. But unfortunately, that is how most domestic violence related deaths happen is that it goes too far. You know, like the person accidentally or in the time of passion ends up committing a murder. And what I think is so sad about this, too, is not only was the school teacher and the school students partial witnesses, these six children in the house were witnesses, and Maribel's fiance, who was on the phone with her. So the calls that Donald had to shoot Maribel, while she was clearly on the phone with somebody, maybe she, he even knew that it was her fiance. But it just blows my mind how many people were witness to this horrific murder. So what happens to the children now? Because, you know, there's a protocol to work with children who have been exposed to trauma and violence in a school shooting. But now when something like this happens on Zoom, my question for you, Dr. Judy, is does it feel less real because it happened in a virtual manner? Is the trauma slightly different? I don't think that it is. And for some people, it might feel even more traumatizing. Imagine if you were witness to this, you're in a Zoom meeting, you hear a loud noise that sounds like a gun, and then somebody's computer goes off. I mean, sometimes our imaginations will take us to some of the most traumatic places because you didn't actually get to witness what happened. And of course, now the children and the school teacher have heard what happened. And so they know once the computer went off, what was really going on. And we know that PTSD doesn't only develop if you've directly experienced something, that PTSD actually can develop when you witness something or even hear about something when something happens to somebody that you know. So it could be a colleague, a coworker, in this case, a student, um, a peer, and you hear that this happened in their home, it can equally cause just as much trauma 
witnessing and seeing this secondhand on the computer. And so I would encourage whoever is in charge here to give that crisis protocol to everybody involved. You know, the fiance, the six children who are in the home, the children on Zoom, the school teacher, just everybody. Because I think sometimes it takes a little while before people can really process what happened. Trauma experiences and responses don't immediately provoke PTSD. Sometimes it takes months or years before people all of a sudden say, you know what, I'm having these nightmares and I can't explain them. So I think this is going to be um, a really important time to keep an eye on everybody who was witness in this case. Dr. Judy, do you think that because it happened virtually and because we're dealing with children, I mean, she was 10, that it makes it perhaps more difficult for children to distinguish um, the violence that they are either seeing or playing on a computer, for example, or on television versus something that has just been experienced, again, in this virtual way in, in, in a Zoom class. Well, I do think that there's a little bit of a difference because I think when you are seeing something through a screen, there, there fe- it feels like a bit of a separation for some people. But conversely, I've actually also heard that people feel sometimes more intimate on Zoom. Like, for example, right now we're on Zoom and I can see you very clearly. It's like you're sitting even closer to me maybe than if we were in person at the studio. And so I've also heard that for some people, they feel like more emotionally connected on the computer. And certainly for our younger generation, they grew up with this environment, right? Like maybe for some of us, we're like, this is a weird shift. Like every meeting's on Zoom now. But for our younger children, this is equating to their experiences in the real world in many ways. Like they kind of grew up with computers and with screens and with FaceTime and all of this stuff. And so I, I think maybe for the younger children, it would have a different effect. It might feel more real to them than perhaps if you're somebody, you know, who's a bit older and this is kind of more of like a barricade for you. Like this is a barrier um, versus something that happens to you directly in front of you in person. It is time for our comment section. These are the crime stories you all are talking about. Police say that a man in Chicago live-streamed himself while he was breaking an ATM with a hammer. Yeah, I bet that got a lot of likes. Uh, 20-year-old Aaron Neal allegedly live-streamed an attempt to break an ATM with his hammer last weekend. Police say that he posted the video of the incident online with n- within 90 minutes Members of the community were able to identify him where the ATM was and call the cops. Okay? Duh. Okay. (laughs) What people will do for likes these days, Anna? I mean, what was he trying to get new followers? Was he trying to get some, he's going to be a viral superstar? I mean, what is happening? Why would you do something like this and not expect to be caught? This is just another example of viral justice at its best. Oh, it's always the stupidity of it, right? It's always the stupidity. So Pamela M. writes, oh, he's mad. Okay, mad. Yeah, okay. Uh, Johnny C. writes, that is the price you pay for live streaming a crime while you're committing it. And then Donna E. writes, not the brightest bulb in the room, is he? Question mark, question mark. I would agree with you. And yes, and if he was that lonely, I think there were better ways for him to get attention and likes. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree with Donna, too. It's like, hmm, not very well thought out here. (laughs) Our next case, an Ohio woman was in a stolen driver's ed car, and she was following a police patrol car for 11 miles. Now, it's not the patrol car following the the driving 
car. It's the driver's ed car following the cop. So she was arrested um, because the deputy who she was following for 11 miles. And by the way, the car that she was driving, her driving school car, it was stolen. (laughs) He says, the sheriff's deputy says, you know, I'm watching her behind me. Every turn I'm making, she's making. And in the process, he says that she made some, um, oh, what a surprise, some moving violations while she's following him. So finally, he manages to pull her over. And this happened like at 7 a.m. on a Sunday, right? Things are quiet. So um, when he finally stops the driver, this woman, okay, (laughs) he asks her, what are you doing? And so her name is Christina King. And she said, oh, I just wanted to know where you were going. Okay, thinking maybe something really exciting is going on at 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning. I think not. I think the poor guy was just getting ready to go to work. Can you believe this? I am astounded by this. So you're in a stolen car, a driver's ed car, no Mm -hmm. doubt. Maybe not even a licensed driver, who knows. And then you decide that while you're in a stolen car, clearly marked with student driver, which, you know, already gets so much attention when you're on the street. You want to follow a police car because of curiosity? I mean, do you want to get arrested? Are you... It doesn't make any sense. Plus, it was hilarious that she had committed all these moving violations. Like, clearly, she's not ready to pass her test, right, Anna? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> she she does not get to get a driver's license after this. <laughs> and if she had one, they're taking it away. So, Christina King of Middletown um, has been charged with one count of receiving stolen property. That's interesting. Did someone give her the 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 driver's ed car? And it was stolen from the B, as in just the letter B, B Safe Driving School. Oh. I, what a Sunday morning, huh? But <laughs> you know, you know, something new every day. I bet that uh, deputy was not expecting that on a quiet Sunday morning where he thought he was maybe just going into the office, you know, doing some routine work. <laughs> and that, I always love that. It's always the, the simplest question that gets you the greatest answers. Yeah. Why were you following me? Right. I mean, it's just, it's very simple. It's not like the car. What, why are you following me? Oh, I just want to know where you were going. Yeah. <laughs> okay, then. Seems very honest. <laughs> so the comments are, Dina W. writes, did she pass? Dina, I think not. <laughs> Ernest L. writes, the most Karen thing I've heard of. Okay. And then Carolyn T., another brilliant human. Unbelievable, but a funny one. Okay. I mean. Today, right? <laughs> uh, well, that is our program for this week. Dr. Judy, as always, we appreciate your insight into everything. Um, where can everybody find you and follow you on social media? Well, Anna, you and I follow each other on Instagram. So I'm at Dr. Judy Ho. That's D-R-J-U-D-Y-H-O. And this week is actually a really special week for me. It is the one-year birthday of my book publication, Stop Self-Sabotage. So it's that's a fun week. So definitely come and check in with me on Instagram. I'm going to be doing some giveaways. And uh, I just feel super grateful that I've been able to publish this book. I can't believe it's been a year. Congratulations on the book. I did not know that. And if you do not follow Dr. Judy, it is absolutely, absolutely delightful. You sing, you play the piano, you dance. This week you had some variation of something from Flash Dance, 
with a bunch of graphics that, you know, you're either trying to get people inspired or give them, you know, some tools to use in life. I swear to you, every time I see one of your videos, I just, I laugh and I smile. Oh, I'm so glad. I mean, that's what I think we need more of. We just need to have fun and play and be creative and relax, everybody. Like, these stories are tough to listen to, but just, you know, you got to like, take a break, relax with the people that you love, and just be grateful for the time that we have together. And I'm grateful that you were with us this week. I always love your insight. Thank you, Dr. Judy. <laughs> Thank you, Anna. I love seeing you. You can uh, find me also on social media at Anna G News. That's Anna with one N. And no, you will not see me dancing, but you'll see my chihuahuas. <laughs> I post a lot of chihuahuas and a little bit of crime. Okay, I need a break from the crime world. <laughs> All right. You can always find our content on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, we're on YouTube as well. And you can get updates by subscribing to our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. Until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast. And as we always say, don't do crime. Don't do crime.